Welcome to the Ruchi Strengthcast. Dan and Paul are the owners of one of the largest powerlifting gyms in the world, Ruchi's Gym, and are experienced powerlifting coaches. Join them as they discuss and debate all things powerlifting and strength training with some fun stuff thrown in. For more information, visit ruchisgym.com. Good afternoon, people. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon, Paulie. Got your coffee ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready to go. Let's do this. Excellent. So, it has been a few weeks since we've done... Actually, I'm starting to get a bit annoyed because we keep saying this. A little bit too long between podcasts. Slightly. But we have a pretty good excuse. Yeah, that's true. We do have a good excuse. We kind of have been a little busy. It's been a little bit crazy. And podcasts are kind of a nice to have. Indeed, they are. But... um. Yeah, look, I enjoy doing them and people actually listen, which is amazing. So, <laughs> yeah, no, nah, we always um, have people come to the gym and talk about our podcast with us. So, yeah, which is cool. Which is great. Yeah, because you get a dialogue happening and you're absolutely, get, yeah, it's good. Look, I guess the let's quickly maybe wrap up, wrap up APU Nats a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, for those that weren't aware, earlier um, in the month, we had the APU um classic nationals here at Rucci's gym which was a four-day event but i'll hand over to paul and paul can give us a bit of a rundown on the event yeah just look a quick quick rundown um it was from november 7 to november 10 um we had around 170 lifters compete over that um over that four-day period it was really three full days of lifting with some administrative stuff sort of wrapped around it um but yeah we've had a lot of great feedback um all the states really got behind it and backed it 150 percent which actually made it a fantastic event for everyone. Everyone was um, happy to fly over again in the event that we would run another national level event, which mm-hmm. is awesome. Um, my favorite part of the whole thing, I had two favorite parts. The first, my first favorite moment was the Special Olympic session. Yeah. Um, magnificent. That was good to it watch. It was so just refreshing and just exciting and the energy levels were like through the roof and it was just you know like there's no expectation there's no ego they just have fun i love that yeah it was so good was and good. to see also michael with his athletes man yeah the michael way, is great the way he you know approaches them and, and handles them and he really them, knows just makes them feel comfortable he knows just, he knows how, and they're just, they're all so individual they all need time. different things. So he's, he's done a remarkable he's job. He's a special bloke. He's done remarkable that things. Guy. Which is why he did win the Ruchi's or the Ron Ruchi Award. On the, which brings me to my second favorite moment was the presentation dinner night. Um, it was such a magical, I thought a magical, magical evening. It's unfortunate that although that I was very, very tired, I did end up going to the casino with a few other I boys heard. and girls. I got. I think I left at about two thirty a.m. and not because I wanted to, literally because like I was could not keep my eyes open any longer. I actually wanted to stay a lot longer because I was having a great time. Yeah, I heard it was a good night. Yeah, man. So look, in general, the presentation dinner was it was phenomenal. It was probably the the best evening I've had in powerlifting since I, we've been involved in powerlifting. It was a really good night. There was about one hundred and seventy guests. There was one hundred and seventy asses in seats. Yep, and amazing. I mean, Hundred, that's amazing. Like, Very. And the McCure Hotel did an amazing job. I thought the venue was perfect. Um, you know, the presentation of the venue was perfect. Yeah, it was um, a great job. You did a great job as well organizing, and also Dion. Dion Stewart had a really huge involvement, huge involvement in the dinner. Yeah. Um, in everything. Um, but yeah, the dinner was was brilliant. You know. Brilliant. I think APU Nats was a really really good event for the APU. You know, being such a new Fed and coming into all the the bark or yeah, an IPF. Obviously. You know, the it's cloud a, around the political you know, atmosphere really, at the time. I really think it cements um, and, and gives people confidence that the APU is going going to continue and going to be doing good things. Well, we do know this because we recently just had our provisional status upgraded to full IPF affiliates um, member go. of yep. the IPF, which just happened at Worlds at the AGM. And also the ASADA. Asada has come on board now, yep. so drug testing will be done through Asada. So um, it's only a matter of time. Yeah, and so like I said in my presentation speech, I hope that we have contributed into the momentum and also the foundation for the APU in Australia. So 
Yeah, all things APU are looking really healthy right now. It was good. So really next year healthy. in APU, you're going to have uh, three local meets? Yeah, so we'll have the WA Cup in February, uh, Perth Open mid-year, and then we'll run our state championships. I'm trying to keep it somewhere between eight and 12 weeks before the first round of national championships. Yep. And those dates will be released at a later date. Yep. And locations. It's very similar to GPC. For those wondering, we have the GPC Western Classic, the state championships, and Perth Cup. Um, and GPC Nationals this year will be in Frankston in August. And then in November, we will be hosting again the Teen Juniors Masters Equipped Single Lift National Championships, which is actually called the Spring Nationals. I like that. So for those of you who competed in 2018 um, at V3 at TJMES, 2020 is back. So it's called Spring Nationals. It's mid-November in 2020. I'm pretty sure all the dates are already on our Facebook event page and on the website. But that's, I'm really looking forward to that one because that was a fantastic event. And what I loved about TJMES was people were just happy to be there. Yeah. And it was a fun event. Yeah, it was. You know, when, the, when you bring in the open competition, it gets a bit more serious. You know, when, you, when you're talking about the juniors and the masters, honestly, a lot of them are just happy to be there and, and, and compete. They're happy to be lifting, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Like, it really good, it's a really good vibe. Yeah. And I really love that. So I'm looking forward to that again next year. But next year, we've got a lot of meets on. We have 12 full meets here um, at V4 at Ruchi's Gym from grassroots powerlifting, novice competitions, and also the APU and GPC meets. Yeah. Anyway, that kind of wraps up. Another solid year. Yeah. So it's going to be pretty crazy. Um, Look, we won't have to move, which is good because yes. I'll be honest, that was hectic. Yeah. We're pretty much settled now here at V4. Still a few things to do, but for the most part, we're settled. Yeah, we're pretty settled here. Um, which let's just segue straight into the topic of today's podcast. So Paul and I decided um, to provide and talk about some information related to injuries in powerlifting. Now, look, it's definitely an area that is misunderstood, um, overcomplicated, over way overcomplicated, um, and it's something that Paul and, and I... I think is, that's because it's misunderstood. Yeah. <laughs> it's an, definitely an area that Paul and I work with a lot. Me being a qualified remedial therapist and Paul and I working as powerlifting coaches for quite a number of years. We obviously deal with our fair share of injuries, um, both you know, from our own perspective, because we've both got injuries that we've had to work through, and also our clients. Um, and, and what we find is, again, like Paul said, injuries are very misunderstood and therefore um, the rehabilitation process is sometimes overcomplicated. Mm. Um, One thing I will say for people who are who, who might be a bit scared about the whole injury thing is the prevalence of actual of injuries in powerlifting is actually quite low. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, though, um, the consequences yeah. can be quite high. Um, you know, like a severe back injury, you can be immobilized for some time, even though obviously immobilization is not highly recommended. Yeah. Um, you know, things like that. Um, so, but, you know, mostly when we have an injury in, pr- in powerlifting, it's sort of a very low level, um, you know, sort of a four to six, even a two to six week period um, time to be at full health. So, you yeah. know, it's very sort of low level stuff. But when something bad does go wrong, but that's true of any sport, you know. Of course. When something bad goes wrong, it goes wrong. Yeah. You know, so. Some of it can be quite low risk, but high consequence. Yeah. You know. Um, look, before we get to the injuries though, I think it's important to talk about preventative. Sure. Um, a lot of people come to Paul and I when it's too late. Yeah. Once they're injured, it's too late. Yeah, you got to come to a coach when you're healthy. So that coach can then coach you through the process of actually becoming a better lifter, teaching you proper lifting mechanics, and then building strength on top of good function. Yeah, I think also part of the preventative measure um, I find is basic exercise selection. So, what I mean by that is, and I see it often, is people being prescribed exercises which just aren't suited to them and it could just be not suited to them at that particular point in time like in their lifting age um, or it could just be ever because maybe it's just a biomechanical you know issue for them correct yeah um, so i see that a lot um, obviously in powerlifting we have to squat bench and deadlift so you know if Naturally. you can't if you can't perform those movements and you can't compete in powerlifting um, but you know most people unless there's something severely wrong can perform those movements 
To a fairly good degree. Sometimes we work with people who do have movement inhibition. Of um, there's areas of grey. It's a very grey area, and there's yeah. grades of injuries, right? There's grades. Of there's yeah. overuse injuries. You know, your tendinopathies and your tendonitis issues, which yeah. we often find with you know, patella tendons and, and yeah, elbows, elbows and those types and, of things, areas. Um, and a lot of those are really just due to overuse or sometimes poor biomechanics as well. Or both. Or both. Um, obviously, a combination of poor biomechanics and then overloading, a lot of overloading can result in, you know, a lot more than ten- a tendinopathy. Mm-hmm. Um, like a rupture. But look, it's important if you are listening and you are a lifter, and you are healthy. Obviously, the idea is to remain healthy as long as possible because longevity is absolutely paramount to your progress. 100%. As soon as you run into a barrier or a brick wall like a back injury or a shoulder injury or, or even a niggle, a niggle, it can really hinder your progress. Mm. And so sometimes it's better to remain in the... I don't really like the word conservative. I use that word. I describe myself as a, as a conservative coach, but it doesn't mean that I give easy training sessions to my clients. Correct. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. It's, it just means I don't typically bash people where they shouldn't be I bashed. mean, maybe optimum is a better word and, yeah. and optimum related to um, working someone to a capacity where they're one, able to recover and two, you're not working them outside of the Goldilocks zone of training where they're Except in good positions ranges, yeah where, where they well you're maximizing safety um, yes because and, at the end of the day like and, you say correct being healthy is the most important thing for longevity and winners are healthy generally so winners win, the people who win are usually the ones that's the healthiest the longest correct <laughs> and in training you should be working to reinforce position and strengthen position yeah and that pos- and that position you can strengthen a bad position that's exactly and that's right. only going to last for so long and yeah, we've seen this many times paulie where someone's got like a crazy deadlift but they look like a dog having a shit yeah and then All eventually right? they hurt themselves and that's gonna and that'll last for a little while yeah they'll make some gains and then eventually one of two things are going to happen number one they hurt themselves mm-hmm. and or they they just let, stop their performance starts to degrade and they, they start to plateau because yep. they don't have a, a good enough technical base to facilitate long-term progress. Growth, yeah. So it's really important that when you're training, you take that into consideration, that you want to be training in percentages where you're reinforcing good quality position. Look, initially, the first thing is understanding what good quality position is. Because mm-hmm. most people, even when they in a, 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 say this very loosely, a light session, a technique session, still don't have the technique right. No. So all you're doing is reinforcing bad habit. Bad techniques, bad, position. bad movements. So really make sure that you understand the movements. And, and Paul and I, sort of what we do is we break the movements down into three phases, essentially the three lifts. That way you can break them down, understand the intent, what you should be doing. Um, and it sort of gives you a better understanding of how to execute the lift yeah. as well. And that's something that we're... Actually, we should probably... Um, that could be a good topic for another podcast, actually, how we break the lifts down. Sure. Um, but look, injuries do happen. Our advice is to minimize the, ch- the risk of injury. Of course. Train smart, right? And if you're the type of lifter who f- always pushes it to the absolute limit um, and maybe feels like they do need help, then find yourself a good coach. Obviously, Paul and I can help you, but there are some other good coaches in Australia as well that can also help. I mean, obviously, find someone who can work with you practically on the floor. If you need it, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. look, obviously, there's there's a whole range of coaches available in the country. Um, Paul and I do work with a big team of lifters and we have actually a lot of really good results um, with injury-related um, issues yeah. and clients who have had injuries and come back. It's funny though. And done like, really well. You know, when you speak to different coaches and people with different experiences, and obviously diversity is really important, you know, every sort of everyone has their own like sort of speciality, body part. It's yeah. It's kind of weird. Um, you know, and I think it's obviously got a lot to do with... Um, their own experience, experience yeah. right? So, you know, like I've been, um, I've been really, um, really good with people with suffering from back injuries, um, and and you know, and I've I've been through my own sort of perils with, with the back and stuff. But it's all good now, which is great. Um, it's actually my yeah. back's probably one of my better parts now, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now yeah, you got I've, your hip. I've had a lot of I have a, had a lot of good success with people like back injuries, and I'm self self-confessed i'm not um as good say with shoulders and um even hips um but back on yeah i'm pretty good at the back 
um, shoulders and hips, um, yeah, I'm not as good. Um, but, you know, like I know you're really great with shoulders. Um, in any case, we would always work with our physio or allied health anyway. Um, but, yeah, just it's funny how different coaches have different, you know, um, sort of skills and, and tools in their boxes for different different things. Look, I mean, I mean, you bring up a good point. If you are working with a coach, um, you know, and, and, and this is also talking to the coaches out there who might be listening, like try and work within your scope of practice. You know, uh, at the end of the day, none of us know everything. We we know. That. Well, I just I just admitted that I yeah. don't. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Sometimes, obviously, as a remedial therapist, I do have. I am qualified to a point. Yeah. Um. Obviously, I can treat and I can do some rehab work, but there there is definitely a point when I do have to hand over the client to an allied health, an allied health professional, such as a physio who can investigate further um, and technically diagnose and then provide feedback based on that. And obviously the physio can send someone for scans and yeah. um, and provide exercise. I think the, one of the most important parts of the performance coach or the powerlifting coach in the rehabilitation cycle, if you like, um, is obviously taking on board what the allied health professional has said. You know, he may, they may have provided some... Um, you know, so obviously contraindications to training, some things they need to be doing. Sort of, yeah. they might give you an indication of how long something might take to heal, and at what point in time you might be able to load it. Um, but I think one of the well, that's important, and I think um, the next step is an exercise selection and the progression of those exercises. Um, which I, th- what I've seen in the past is a lot of people get this wrong. They don't understand exercise selection. They don't understand contraindications and indications for particular. Um, injuries yeah um, which is a problem a of huge course. problem <laughs> <laughs> look if you are if you do find yourself running into an injury or a niggle um, and you can't clear it up make sure you always try and seek help because the you know you want to try and sort that shit out as quickly as you can 100% to get back to training um, I think Eddie Cohen said this to us he said well he, he said it in the past I'm pretty sure he said it in one of our things with him um, you know once you if you get an injury you have to put everything in your being to getting that injury right because that that injury now is is the hurdle it's the brick wall that's standing in front of you right yeah so everything you do has to be working towards getting that injury and getting you back you know in, into health and to, into performance yeah absolutely so, yeah you're right and i think a lot of the mistake people do make as well is when they get injured they just sort of stop training or just train less that's not rehabilitation. No. So this is this is another. This brings us to I guess a point on mm. what happens when you get injured. Yeah. Um, and what we do find sometimes is people either stop training or they limit their training so much where they well they're basically detraining. Just, yeah, they definitely just detraining. Um, it can be difficult mentally to recover from an injury because people get into the sport of powerlifting because they love to train. So when they find that they can't train or their training has to be modified due to an injury, sometimes people can't deal with it. No. I've had clients myself who I've, tra- I've tried to work through this process with and they just they can't deal with it. Yeah. Um, so sometimes it can be very tricky to try and overcome. Look, I, I, I know for myself and you know poorly, when you get injured, man, you know, you just, it's hard. It is hard, you know. But at the end of the day, all if you look at, say, the current group of elite lifters in the world, I'm pretty sure they've all been injured at some point. I'm going to give you... I'm going to give the people my recommendations when you get injured. Tell this me is what you. I've done in the past and it's worked really well for me and and with my clients and especially obviously with the clients who do it well. So you sustain an injury. Okay, cool. You can't train to full capacity anymore. There's a whole heap of exercises that are now contraindicated. You can't do those things. You love doing them. Okay, boo-hoo. What you need to do is you definitely need to address the injury. So obviously you're going to get some sort of allied health involvement with your performance coach you're going to work out a plan for that injury but to keep you motivated and to keep you progressing you need to change or reorient your goals slightly or what mm. you're actually um you yes you've so done what this really I've done well in the past for example is I've sustained an injury you know cool that sucks but i'm thinking long term i'm thinking okay i've got this injury now it's gonna let's say it's gonna be with me for 12 months Let's say I'm not going to be better for 12 months. Like in 12 months, it'll be behind me. That's fine. Okay, but I'm thinking about five years time. Is there anything I can do now within this 12-month period that I can concentrate on that will help me in five years? And Mm -hmm. the answer to that question is always yes. 
Oh, and absolutely. So for example, what I've done in the past is I have dealt with my injury. I've gone through the rehabilitation stuff and I've diverted my attention now, say for example, to nutrition, right? Which is a huge key factor in performance and long-term performance. And I've upskilled myself in nutrition. I've learned, you know, how my body responds to certain things. I learned how to count calories. I learned how to manage calories. I learned how to use my fitness power. Yeah, really well. Though, all that like, type of stuff. Meticulously, right? right? And so, like, that's a tool that can be used not only during that 12 months, if you like, but it can be used after. Yeah. And so, suddenly now, cool, you're right. I haven't, I haven't been able to train to full capacity, but even within that 12 months, I'm still training. I'm still using workarounds and training body parts and movements that I can train. But now I'm also upskilling on the another side on another thing and in this case it's nutrition um and that's helped me heaps yeah look i think resetting some of your goals yeah can help a lot correct yeah just realigning some goals you know it can help because it can also help the mind absolutely you know? look i like i said before you get injured you you have a goal you get injured that goal is no longer achievable correct because well maybe not in the term that you wanted it to be correct in. exactly so a realignment of goals can help. Yeah, um, that's, that's like you I said, recommend. pick one, two, maybe three things that you can do in training for that for the period of time where you can, you know, think five years ahead. Yeah. Like I know, for example, I probably could do a lot more work on my back. Mm. So if something happened and I couldn't bench press, yeah, you could do yeah, or some my knee or something, then you I would probably it. focus a lot on building my upper back strength and my lower back strength yeah. and just general um, muscle mass. You know. Yeah. Um, but you know that's that that's just really like that still has to do with training. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, no, yes, really divert your attention. Um, maybe go and do a short course. Yeah, become a better lifter. Become by, a better lifter by education, your knowledge. education, or like what I've done in the past. <coughs> I've I've just dialed. You know, I've learned nutrition for myself. Yeah. You know? yeah. Now I'm very good with it. I can. I'm not I'm very good with nutrition now, um, which has helped me and accelerated me now. As well, it's accelerated a lot of my training. Look, I guess one of the reasons results. people sort of fall off the bandwagon when they get injured is because a lot of people are for the here and now. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, realign you know? your goals. Think about not over the next 12 months or six months. Think about what's going to be happening in three years, in five years. In a- I know, man. But unfortunately, in this Insta-famous world, bro, people well, only are worried about, oh, no, I can't squat, so I can't post my squat videos to Instagram. Yeah, but I don't deal with those people. I know. So, so what, what, But what Paul and I are basically saying is think long-term. Yeah. You know, if you want to be a lifter, remember, it doesn't actually matter. Short-term doesn't matter Hurdles that much. Hurdles are there to be jumped over. Yeah, it's too nice. I like it. Simple as that. In a hurdle race, you have to jump over the hurdles to get to the finish line. Uh, yeah, that's you right. You like that? And there's also more than one hurdle as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so... Uh, someone I can't remember who said this but it wasn't that long ago but it would be hard pressed to find a champion at any sport that has never been injured hmm. unless it's like chess or something um, but, but even I'm sure then, they maybe they've got RSI in their yeah, wrists repetitive or strain yeah. or something um, but yeah it's true and though what, what, what that means is and what that person is trying to say is that if you want to be extremely good at something you are then pushing yourself to an extreme and obviously that also comes along with the higher risk to reward ratio. You're pushing your body. You're doing... I mean, our bodies are not designed to squat 300 kilos. They're not even designed to squat 200, even 180 or even 150. They're designed to run in the African savannah, running away from lions and picking berries. Pretty right? much. So like if now we're suddenly asking our bodies to do things that they're not really evolutionary designed for... Um, don't be surprised if something happens <laughs> and you have a bit of time off and rehabilitation. Yeah. Um, and you know, it happens to the best of us. It's a hurdle. That's all it is. It's not a brick wall. You can jump over it. You can tear it down. Um, just, yep. you know, you've got to put your mind to it. Yeah. You've know, got to put your mind to it. Absolutely. And I, even in my own personal experience um, and even the experience of people I've worked with, hurdles generally make people stronger and smarter. I agree. More resilient as well. Correct. And also they start to actually go through some critical thinking of their own. Yeah, that's um, right. Ask a lot of questions. That's How right. do I do this? How can I work around that? What exercise is good for that? How can I strengthen this? Yeah. You know, so sometimes when I have a client who's got some, some stuff going on, they actually 
become better lifters as part of the process of having an injury. Exactly. Because they're learning something new. Exactly. You know? Which is great. Yeah. Which is... And fortunate. Paul, I've always said, part of, of being a really good lifter is having the knowledge and the discipline and the good habits yeah uh, and the consistency yeah. i've seen it some people just come into the gym and they put their gym bag down and they're not even like they don't even they're not even dressed like they're ready to like attack a serious training session and they go in there and they just throw weight in the bar and they're just f- throwing it around and they're flopping on the bench and they're not really paying attention there's no intent in their training yeah um that's I great hate, word. i actually hate that yeah if you're going to come in here like have some intent about what you're doing um, set yourself up for a very productive training session, you know? Yeah, you know, I think people sometimes get into that mode um, because the one training session in the scheme of things seems like a very small part of the big picture. It's right? one brick in the wall, baby. But when you think about it, like, you know, if you keep laying those good quality bricks yeah. over a very long period of time, those bricks, Good well, you end up with brick, a strong wall, and yeah. a and then a very strong house, and a good looking yeah. house, and a create you yeah. know. Of course, if you don't treat those training sessions like Paul said with the right intent, and that means lifting correctly to the best of your technical ability, reinforcing good position, training smart, training hard, yeah, then you're not building good quality bricks. I like that, Foley. I mean, even with our clients, we're always having them reinforce quality movement, even in their warm ups. So. Let's talk about warm-ups. Sure. You're squatting. You get in the gym, right? You go through a general warm-up if you need one. Now, I'm the type of person, I go straight to a bar, right? Yeah, same. I go to a bar and I just spend a bit more time under the bar, an empty bar, to just, you know, get elevate my heart rate, you know, start sweating, all that, you know, elevate my body temperature. Grease the movement. Correct. I don't start putting weight on that bar until I feel that my movement is adequate to start putting that weight on the bar. That's what a warm up is about. I put twenties on, you know. I do it a few times. It's feeling good, you know. Tens and you know the the weight incrementally gets added to the bar until I'm my working set, and then I'm smashing my working set, you know. Yeah. Um, So I think that's what a good warm up should do. A warm up is a preparatory phase in your training to get to the yeah the actual working set. Um, I mean, how often do we see people spending? 30 40 minutes doing all sorts of fandangle stuff yeah again i think that's part of the people making things a little bit too complicated um i mean we've said this before right and uh, you know i've had discussions with quite a lot of with physios about this yeah, yeah, yeah. um we're built to do stuff right that's right if it takes you 40 minutes to get to, to do a bar, something something's, something's wrong. wrong yeah Agreed. Um, you know, even if you wanted to do your activation work and bits and pieces, it shouldn't take you more than 10 minutes. Yeah, 10 you know or 15 I mean? minutes. Maybe you've, you're have you working with a physio or a coach and they've asked you to do a certain stretches and drills. Sure. That's cool. Um, look, I've also, you know, read some stuff where coaches have said, you know what, we don't think firm rolling really physiologically is all that beneficial but if the person feels good doing it, yes, and if that helps them prepare for their session, let them foam roll. Actually, I mean, obviously, I'm just are. picking that. The jury is out on foam rolling, right? <laughs> you know. So, however, like you said, if someone f- and really all foam rolling does is maybe get a bit more blood flow to the area, yeah, which can make the fine. area feel good, right? Correct. And also, it has a meditative or a relaxation exactly. start, a preparatory, of, yep, right? Yep. So, if it does help you prepare to train and, and, and get a bit of blood flow to certain areas, then yeah. do it. Yeah, but I could have picked on any modality. Static stretching. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. You know, I'm the just... whole mantra, don't static stretch, blah, blah, blah. If if the person, let's say, for example, static stretching decreased squat power, if you're static stretching your quads, for example, right? Let's just say. If the person likes to do static stretching in their warm-up and the effect, that positive effect outweighs the negative effect then god damn it let them do the static stretching i i, I personally i i like a bit of static stretching before you i know? train um i think that stretching and activation should be done and prescribed in a joint by joint fashion i.e if i need range in a certain direction 
then I need to be activating on one side and stretching on another. I think that people are doing activation and stretching on for the, shit they don't need for to the be sake doing of it doing it. Yeah, because they saw it on Instagram. They can already fully circumduct their shoulder and externally internally rotate. Yeah, they're doing all this shit with their rotator cuff and they're doing why? What are you doing? Um, so I think that's where the complication. Look, is. I think there's some value there. Uh, I definitely think a lot of it is overused. Yeah, overused. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, but it Look, is what it is. most of us as powerlifters, we do perform a lot of pressing. So we become very, obviously, shortened anteriorly, right? Yeah, yeah. lats and, and pec and all that sort of thing. So a lot of us have common areas in which we like to, you know, lengthen and soften and stuff. You know, pecs and lats and all, all those types of things. Yeah, and of course. I get the common that. Areas. I get all that. Those big internal rotators of the shoulder exactly. are going to be I get key. all that. 100%. Yeah. I get all that. that that's all fine. Um, you know, it is what it is, I suppose. Yeah. Obviously, ensuring that your body, you can, well, ensuring you can move well is an important part of the preventative process yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, because again, dysfunction um, and poor biomechanics can lead to injury, right? 100%. And so what we also find a lot of the times is people can't move correctly, yet they still pile weight on the bar. Yeah. I mean, again, there's levels of grayness. Yeah. Here, isn't I know there? it's very gray. You know, I mean, if as a purist, I would say that no one can move perfectly. For any lift it's true and then yeah. on the other side of the coin you've got people who cannot 100 percent cannot perform the movement at all and then obviously we all live in some in this within the spectrum between of course perfection and and, and yeah downright and dreadful. obviously all of us trying to achieve perfection but that's impossible to yeah. achieve yeah especially rep to rep every now and again in a blue moon you might feel a rep was perfect yeah and i think the older we get in terms of training age the more hits we get as in the more proportioned or the high proportions of our sets tend to be bit good reps. reps correct. Good and, reps and, and this set. goes to back yeah. to building a, a good yeah. solid technical foundation. Yeah. And this is where a lot of new lifters get it wrong. In their first two years of lifting, a lot of their lifting should be focused on building technical base. Yeah. Actually getting really, really good at lifting. Yeah. Don't worry about weight on the bar so much. That will come that will anyway. Come. That's that going come. to come eventually. Yeah. Focus on the technical nature of your lifting. Become a master at the lifts. A master. Master sensei, you know. I think a lot of people get caught up on numbers, and that's normal because it's just ego driven. Um, it's funny when you bring that up with someone, and you'll say something like, "Look, man, it's just your ego talking." They get offended. They do. I'm like, "Dude, it's okay. We've all got an ego. Like, yep. just admit it. It's cool. Like, it's I'm not having a go at you. Yeah, if mean, you can admit it, we can get past this shit and we can move on. Yeah, and you'll become a better lifter. Once you get past that, um, oh, look, I'll be honest, man. I just. In terms of like lifting quality, man, I just hate dog shit looking lifts. I'm with you, bro. You know, like I would prefer to be coaching someone through really technical um, lifting, you know, and that's that's my goal with my clients. I want to see beautiful, beautifully executed, effortless lifting. Oh, I agree. Um, I mean, we share the same vision there. Yeah. Unfortunately, in powerlifting, it's not judged on how good the lift is. Hang on a minute. That's not to say that I'm not interested in progressing, obviously, my client's strength, strength levels and all that type of thing. Of course. But I'm never going to um, jeopardize someone's, well, their health, for example, for performance, not sort of not at this, these sorts of levels. Hell um, no. And that's why in the health and fitness industry, health comes, comes before first. fitness. Yeah. I mean, technically, this is a sport. It's a high performance Yeah, but a lot of people well, get so. into this through... Just searching for general health and fitness. Yeah, and uh, then at some point, they probably have to, you know, rebalance the scale and say, okay, but now this is about performance. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Know, so like, Look, there's nothing healthy about squatting 300 kilos for reps is what I'm saying. No, of course not. I mean, no. I mean, we, like you said, we weren't what designed to. about that? Well, no. <laughs> no, yeah. It, it's not a requirement to continue breathing. Exactly. <laughs> you know yeah but i mean i'm sure you could be just as healthy inverted commas squatting 140 kilos yeah which is still quite heavy in the scheme i know of, that's what i'm saying you know, you know. obviously powerlifting <laughs> as a sport it's a little bit different but look paul and i definitely yeah, like, like you said man we're definitely on the side of the technical side of lifting and i think that produces better lifters and i think long term mm. and i think you're starting to see it now as a lot of our lifters are starting especially the ones that have been with us for a while they're starting to come into fruition. They're starting to get numbers. Um, and it takes longer to develop a team of lifters when you have that approach rather than... You Basham. Know, right, rather than the fucking China... Sorry. The Chinese method of just destroying people with load. Yeah. And then, you know, you put a million million people through the same 
sort of rough and you end up with 10 good you end ones. up with 10 good ones i mean we don't really have the uh no ability no. to do that so nor do we want to so no. we're more about trying to get all of our lifters to be more refined yeah and then trying to get them to be the best they can so that they have longevity in the sport they stick around for a long I mean, time and they look, get the if results you look man a lot of our lifters have been like involved for a long time yeah, in, that's what I'm saying. Let's talk about just let's. I mean, obviously, I'm talking about like new age powerlifting in Australia is what I'm talking about. Yeah, um, where that that tradition has not been true for many other um, pockets in the country. No, I mean a lot of our team has been with us for quite a long time. Yeah, look but at Yanni for example, <laughs> and competing. Um, and Yanni's been now, competing a long time now, these days, like more than three years. Yeah, unfortunately, the 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 current life time of a lifter is probably two years yeah. you have someone come in they do big things they're gone they talk a game they're gone um to me that's not impressive no i want to see someone who builds a career in powerlifting over many years yeah um who can back it up you know many comp after over. comp not make excuses you know unfortunately you're going to get a bit of both that's just the way it is mm-hmm. but um look a lot of the times i don't t- understand the whole excuse thing to be honest if you didn't have a good comp that's okay man you're human like there'll, there'll be another one yeah. But look, a lot of the times what happens with those two-year type of lifters is they get injured because no, they've right, rushed yeah. the process. Correct. They, they tried to shortcut the, the methods. You can't shortcut learning a skill. No. And again, in the first two years of your training, you should be really focused on developing that skill. And a lot of people try and get do that way too quickly or think that they're... Yeah, and then they know, snap. We've seen a lot of young young, young boys, young How many times have we seen this in Australia? Heaps. Yeah. Heaps of times where we see... Yeah. Um, good, awesome, junior, strong, lifting some crazy numbers, and then after two years, no, everyone's talking gone. about how they're going to be the next best thing, and then gone. suddenly they're doing MMA. <laughs> yeah, they're gone. You yeah, know what I mean? Gone. Yeah. So, look, if you are in powerlifting, you know, really try and take a long-term approach to the sport. You know, you hopefully want to be doing this for a long time, not a short time. And over a long time, you need to look after yourself. You need to be healthy. Um, Obviously, you need to periodize your training in ways that gives you some downtime. Yeah, not in ways, in waves. Ways, and waves in waves. Waves. Correct. I talk about this all with my clients. Sometimes they come up to me, oh, you know, like I feel like my bench has gotten weaker. And I try and explain to them, this is happening, this is happening, happens in waves. Yeah. You're going to have periods where you feel like certain lifts are stronger. You're going to have periods where you feel like they're a little bit weaker. But it happens in waves. This is how life works. It's waves. Yes, Paul. It's all in waves. How very zen of you. It's true though. I get this as well, right? Yeah. Damn, my bench is feeling pretty shit at the moment. Yeah. Relax. It's going to come. All this work you're putting in now, this groundwork is going to, to pay off. Yeah. It might take three months. It might take six months. But trust me, the work you're putting in now yeah. will eventually pay off. Yeah, so, and we see it all the time, right? Yeah. Um, bench is particularly one that happens a lot with, you know. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, Especially so, as soon as you reduce the, the volume in bench. Yeah start feeling pretty sluggish yeah but obviously an important let's thing talk to about um you know like let's pick two or three major joints slash body parts talk about the types of injuries injuries we see yep um maybe go or maybe a dysfunction um, yeah, anything sort of like scapular that. dysfunction is a big one yeah yeah so yeah, inability to properly move the scapula through its full range. Yeah, which is a big um, one. Which is a huge problem. Related to obviously thoracic mobility. Yeah, 100%. Directly related to the T-spine do mobility. Do not have adequate thoracic mobility. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you have the endurance issue of the rhomboids and the sort of mid-trap. People unable to hold the scapular position, you know, in a, in a bench press set. You know, things yeah, like that. that's right. Um, that neural is, load to isometrically contract those yeah. muscles and hold the scapular position for yeah. an extended period of time. And then you have the proprioceptive issues where they don't understand the movement of their scapula. Big time. Um, so you have to obviously drill in movement of scapula, take them through, take their shoulder and their scapula through its full range, explain to them the different positions or actions. And then, so in terms of scapula, yeah. actually, obviously relating, let's say, talk about the bench press where we're retracting and depressing our scap. Yep. It's more of a downward rotation, yep. right? Um, there's a really cool exercise that Paul and I use to help teach sort of scapular retraction mm-hmm. and then flexion of the elbow, mm-hmm. extension of the elbow, and then protraction of the scapula. Yeah, so you're basically taking your elbow and your scapula through four different actions but you're doing them independently correct and, and this the, is the bat wing row it's called a bat wing row mm. so if you do a search for a bat wing row 
it's sort of done it, it, it's kind of like a dual dumbbell a prone dual dumbbell row yeah. however you're doing it in four actions so and you're doing just, it, it's just doing it with light weights as well yeah it, to you be know, honest like, you know like 70 kilo dumbbells we use this exercise to teach people how to well isolate the actions of the isolate those actions yeah. um right. because it's very important because when we bench press we need to be able to contract and hold our scapular position while we're pressing well yeah you know so we're extending the elbow uh, flexing the elbow yeah we're we're extending the elbow but maintaining our scapular position the thing is as well though you're holding your scapula in one position but there's still movement in the shoulder which is also really hard to do for a lot of people yeah so that obviously the joint has to move that's how you you know this flexion bench yeah yeah that's right so the the batwing row is a really good one to teach that differentiation because you need to be able to differentiate between retraction depression of a scapular and flexion extension, extension of your of elbow, elbow. Yeah. because that's very important especially for your bench press where you've got to isometrically hold your scapula in the right position but being able to well really it's the only lift that we do that requires that um differentiate upper body differentiation between the elbow and the scapula. yeah correct but a lot of times yeah. we find that people just can't that proprioceptively just can't get it they oh don't yeah have the look, body awareness. let's be real before you ever start lifting did you like retract your your no. scapula and bend your elbow i never it's did. definitely not something that we, you know, we naturally do no, no. so like I, I get it i understand why people find yeah. it hard and then what we find is when someone can get that all of a sudden their bench press starts to look a little bit better they're able to hold a better upper back position yeah. they're more stable because they're able to have that differentiation in that movement yeah well, they understand that they have to isometrically be holding their scapula and the action happens at the elbow and obviously also some of the shoulders of well, course because you have flexion extension of the shoulder um, but, but um yeah that's just one example uh, in terms of scapular dysfunction obviously thoracic mobility is a big one being able yeah. to obviously extend your yeah. thoracic get it out of the way basically yeah. so that your scapula can come through a full range yeah um, and also then you have problems with say uh, elevation and depression of scapula in a sort of a standing position yeah. where you might have overactive upper lower traps you know all those types of things yeah um, which can affect obviously the movement of the scapula especially independently overhead pressing you know like if one arm feels you can reach higher and all that type of thing. You get all those yeah, sorts yeah. of problems. Um, we also deal with a range of shoulder issues. Um, bursitis is a Probably big one. A big one, yeah. When um, you have some subacromial impingement of the shoulder. Um, yeah. Very, and again, very that one, the main cause of that one is poor, poor mechanics, poor biomechanics, moving yeah. through a range of motion in an incorrect position, yeah. which will then obviously... Um, impinge the bursa, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, or a long head of bicep and all the soft tissue that lives between the acromium and the, and the top of the um the glenoid yeah so if you actually look at um a diagram of the shoulder there's not a lot of room between uh, the acromion no. process the bursa and yeah head of humerus and also glenoid cavity, you know yeah. um and then supraspinatus tendon is in it's there it's all well. squashed in there yeah. <laughs> yeah so if you're not moving correctly you can often impinge the joint and th- and the first thing that happens is you get inflammation of that bursa and then what happens once it's inflamed you have swelling and heat yeah. And so when you have swelling of the bursa, it means there's less room and you, and you go through a vicious, vicious cycle, cycle, right? Yeah. So it's important to have good mechanics to minimize. Look, bursitis is is a big one. So this we, is one of those things like people get, say, they get a, get a sore shoulder and it's bursitis and then they'll automatically think they, start need, need, they think they need to start doing mobility drills. That may very well be the case. More often <laughs> than not, they're just not benching correctly. They're not in good position. They're not even in a good position. But they can get into a good. It's got nothing to do with mobility. It's simply that they're not in a mechanically good position to actually bench press over the shoulder. Yeah. And However, they may have to do some mobility work in order Correct. to get into a good. position. I'm not saying. Yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean it's mobility. It may mean that they need to do some mobility work to get into that good position. Yeah. But more often than not, it's the actual lack of positioning and not the lack of mobility that's causing <laughs> it's poor yeah, it's poor mechanics yeah, yeah it's yeah. poor mechanics and overload yeah you have you mix those two things and together. you are in a for a world of oh. hurt so other you know they're sort of the main ones around the shoulders occasionally we get some real tricky stuff yeah um you know but elbow sort of tendinopathies um tennis yeah. elbow golfer's elbow yeah, they're they're real pain and a lot of times and most of the time to be honest we find that with the elbow stuff it's related to your low bar back squat. Yeah, a lot of people will try and as they squat, they'll try and screw the elbow under the bar to keep the bar perpendicular with the or the, the, their elbow perpendicular with the earth to help support the weight, which one throws off your back position, but two yeah. loads up your biceps. Loads up your bicep, the ulnar nerve as well. You can really load up the ulnar nerve, which is can be really really painful. So sometimes yeah. it's hard to 
break the bad habit. But if you teach someone a good upper back, how to hold a good upper back position, the it can back help. is meant to sustain the load of the weight. Your hands are there to balance the bar, but also obviously to tension up your back, but not to carry the not load to support of the, bar. the weight. Correct, not to carry. And the that's load where of the you have run into the tendinopathy issues. Yeah, that's right. Because you're loading up the, for example, your bicep tendons with a yeah. huge amount of possible. I mean, load. also that in that you know, obviously in a low bar position, the requirement for external rotation of the humerus, if someone simply cannot get there what they're doing is they're actually virtually putting all the load back directly onto the humerus and elbow yeah i mean i mean this is why we also um vary the squ- we vary the squat variations it's yeah pretty, i actually saying. i'm actually a real um fan of high bar squatting for most of yeah um, preps and off season to be honest i've also uh, so yeah I, i've really i've been doing a lot of high bar because i found that like you, you low bar someone that's cool they get sore elbows can't bench can't bench. So really, all you've done is shot your bench. So here's actually a, a good, another good thing to bring up is don't rob from Peter to give to Paul. Yes, correct. And this is a perfect example. Agreed. Um, is, yeah. I mean, I've... And this is probably only something I've really started to do in the last two or three years, to be perfectly honest. Giving more of my um, guys and girls more high bar as opposed to just loading up with low high bar, bar all the time. High bar, front squat, and the safety bar. Look, some of the bigger boys find it really hard to get into a front squat position. So, you know, safety, safety bar, bar, even duffalo bar. I mean, yeah, the duffalo bar is a great tool because it's a great you know, tool. Yeah. Yeah. Takes so the demand off a little bit. of squatting are fine. You know, I mean, the stimulus is very, very similar. Yeah. So um, if you are suffering with some elbow stuff related to your squat, try and vary up your squats. Um, you don't always have to squat low bar, especially off-season or general preparatory work. I'm In telling fact, you, you do yourself a favor and just squat high bar and see how much stronger you'll be. Yeah, I, yes. I, I, I've enjoyed doing the high bar I've been doing over the last yeah. few months. Yeah, um, We get a lot, lot stronger. High absolutely. bar is a, is, a, is, a great, is a great tool. Hips is another area we find. Maybe let's just stop at the back, the lower back. Okay, oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah. Um, obviously, um, back injuries relating to powerlifting do occur um and we see them mainly occurring in deadlifts um so you know here we're talking about even like facet joint injuries when people are um overloading in extension like facet joints which are really they're painful and they're niggly and they're really hard to sort of um overcome um so facet joint injuries and then obviously you have obviously intervertebral disc injuries it's more like facet joint irritation where it's it's an inflammatory condition it just needs time we also find every now and again we get some sort of um um intercostal intercostal we've had yeah we've like I mean, a rib I've intercostal, had intercostal gets pulled had one yeah uh, they're not real common though i mean that's not no no, no once every now and again no, i think we've had bad. three intercostal injuries in eight years or some nine years or something so it's really not oh, that a bit more than that prevalent. but yeah i know what you mean yeah uh, it's not one a year um but you know obviously um back strains you know are very common ql strains and those t- well, ql strains are the worst um they're very hard to sort of. Um, Why? Well, so, so you've got. So we we normally come across low, lower back stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously you know, the big hitters that put people out for a long time are you know sort of you know inevitable disc herniations, protrusions, those types of things. Anything with sort of some root especially nerve, when you have nerve, so, you nerve know, root impingement. Yeah, stuff. you have impingement, referral pain, you know, numbness, tingling, all that type of thing. And if you're ever in that position where you've done something with your back, go straight to an allied health professional, to a physio. Yeah. And get on top of that straight away. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, then, I do a lot of work with. Um, with with I do yeah people come to me quite a lot for back injuries because I've had quite good success with it so if, if you do have a problem um just hit me up I'm happy to help and I've actually yeah. done a lot of work with SI joint yeah yeah, um, yeah so lower back yeah. SI joint stuff because yeah, yeah. I had a lot of, I've had a lot of experience with SI and we've both joint done stuff. a bit of work with hips as well um yep. especially the older we're getting <laughs> yeah absolutely more man. hip stuff um you know but look, I guess at the end of the day, I mean, we don't have a lot of time to go through every single injury and scenario, no. but just so you guys are aware, at the end of the day, you have to look after yourself. Exactly. If you do run into an injury, make sure you get the right help, speak to your coach, um, and that coach should, if it's outside their scope of work, refer We actually you have on. a really good module in our Palatine Fundamentals course on injury and injury prevention, where we, you know, we sit down with everyone and everyone shares their experiences. Yeah, it's good fun, actually. I find that really interesting because it's always a diverse... I think... There was one class that we had that no, no one had an injury or a serious injury, and we're like, "This is boring." Yeah. Know? Normally, there's a whole bunch of so stuff. So we just we shared, know. obviously, you know, personal experience and, and experience client experiences with other people and stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's a really good module in that course, actually. And normally, yeah, yeah like Paul said, we go around the room yeah. and we talk about people's injuries. And, no, and obviously, sort of, if they want to share, yeah, we course. had one guy bring out X-rays and all sorts <laughs> of stuff. That was really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Look, unfortunately, injuries are part of the sport. 
Um, it's how you manage them, how you deal with them from a physical and mental perspective that sort of help determine, I guess. I hate that whole injuries are part of the sport thing. I mean, they are and they aren't. You know, like, obviously we prefer them not to be. Yeah, I know, but um, unfortunately we... It does happen. They, they, it happens. They need to be managed. Look, we don't plan for injuries. Correct, that's right. You know, yeah, but yeah. unfortunately the world isn't perfect and nothing is perfect, so... Exactly, and it, even if you have very very good technique and your periodization is all well planned it doesn't mean you're not going to get injured poorly i've had clients get injured and it wasn't even from training yeah well that's of course you can't obviously you know you know so even in general life jobs in their lives can go wrong of course absolutely um but yeah look i don't really know what much i've had had one of my clients who was an ambulance officer nurse no ambulance officer and he went to drag a client who was about two feet in front of him closer to him and that was the mistake he made yeah he, i've had a similar client who was a back, yeah. paramedic transferring a client oh yeah tra- client pa- fell off the bed he went to pick to catch, to catch him chow yeah and as you do as a paramedic because obviously you're in a position of care so you want to make yeah. sure you know of obviously. course yeah of course yeah, yeah. Is what it is. We've been going now for 50 minutes, Paulie. I know we, we can probably sit here and rant forever. Yeah. Look, could. today we just thought we'd talk about injuries and we didn't have really have a plan. Um, it was just, no. let's, let's discuss injuries. Let's see what comes up. That was good. Um, good, pretty look, good. Look, if you do have any questions in particular Dewey. related to, <laughs> to injuries or a specific injury, let us know. Um, look, we do want to try and cover a whole bunch of topics and sometimes we'll be more organized, but today was... Probably a little bit more unplanned. Oh, which is Dan okay. was like, "Man, what do you want to talk about today?" I was like, "You know what? We haven't really talked much about injuries. Let's get into it a bit and yeah. just have a bit of a gander." I really like talking about the Check. preventative stuff. What people should be doing in training to prevent injuries, and yeah. the big number one ticket item there is make sure you're moving well. Yeah, I think well movement and also um, monitor loads. I yeah. think is important as well. You need to be. Yeah correctly performing the movements otherwise you just put yourself in a high risk category mm-hmm. and then when you add load you multiply that risk yeah you do i know so if you're unsure whether or not you need work on your technique you probably do all right yeah, that's probably look man true. i'm going to wrap that up because i've got a client probably waiting downstairs for me now paulie mm-hmm. all right look Sounds guys good. it's been a pleasure thank you very much and for we'll uh try and get the next podcast out in next another week. week or so. Yeah, I think so. Um, we'll try and be more planned as well, man. Yeah, look, actually, I thought this went quite well, to be honest. I hope so. Anyway, guys, mm. we'll speak to you later. Later. Thanks for listening to the Ruchi Strengthcast. Be sure to subscribe to join us on the journey. And for more information, visit ruchisgym.com.